You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen. Mark chapter number 12, and I'm going to read just a couple of verses of Scripture, then I'll let you be seated here. How many helped me preach this morning? Now, I heard Brother Kendall preach real short Wednesday night. So, you got to get with me so I can preach short today too. Amen. Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die and leave his wife behind him, and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed, and the second took her and died, neither left he any seed, and the third likewise, and the seven had her and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. Now, this is not probably something you want to bring up in public. (laughs) And yet, they came before Christ for shock value. And dared bring this up. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err? Because ye know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. And as touching the dead that they rise, have ye not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. So Jesus answers their question and he addresses it, but he prefaces his remarks by saying, you err because you know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. The New Living Translation terms it this way, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. So I want to talk to us, if I can, for just a few moments this morning on this thought, playing games with God. Playing games with God. Let's lay our Bibles down and ask the Lord one more time, just open our hearts to receive what His Word would speak to us. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You today for being attendant to Your Spirit and Your Word, letting us have the liberty that we have today to come in this manner. But I pray right now that without Your Spirit, God, we we cannot see. Our ears cannot hear. But Lord, open up our hearts today and I pray that you would minister to someone that is here, someone that is watching, someone that is seeking for you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, can you just pray in the Holy Ghost a little bit and let let the Lord know, amen, that he has a liberty in this house. Hallelujah, Lord. God, I worship you this morning. God, I magnify your name this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody send up a hallelujah to the Lord today. Jesus, I bless your name. God, I worship your name. Hallelujah, Lord, I praise you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, be magnified. Amen, God bless you, amen. You can be seated this morning. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Playing games with God. It is, it is always interesting when you go to the word of the Lord and somebody has a certain expectation and then you read a passage like this, how quiet it gets in the crowd. 
as people begin to wonder, where's he going with this? <laughs> What's, what, what did I get myself into? Imagine that was probably sort of the same situation that it was that day when these Sadducees come to the Lord and they begin to bring up this issue and this question. It is a hypothetical. It is a hypothetical, if you will, to the extreme. And it was a a uh, remote safety in the law mechanism that God put in there. And, And it was taken out of context and twisted in terms. And now they come and they bring this hypothetical to the Lord to challenge him, to put him on the spot. They were expecting it to be awkward. And in that moment, they were seeking validation. They were trying to trip him up. They were trying to entrap him in words And it was all to justify themselves, to make themselves look better. Look at what Mark says. He says, then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. He identifies the issue with these people, this group of people that come. Of course, without getting too deep, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were the two ruling uh, parties, if you will, for lack of a better term, within the religious structure of Judaism. And the Sadducees were the class of priests that were ruling at the temple. It was the Pharisees that Christ calls out many times for being hypocrites. It was the Pharisees that Christ speaks against and to in the Sermon on the Mount, their reinterpretations of the law. But the Sadducees is the ruling class in the temple, the priests that were in charge They were, in many ways, they were Roman in lifestyle. They were Jewish in ceremony only. They were not necessarily believers in what they were practicing and what they were doing. They had made a a, a money machine of the works of the temple. And so they had their own ideologies and they had their own doctrines and their own ways of a living. They had elevated, if you will, their own opinion above the word of God. But because they had power, they had a measure of influence and they come to Christ to entrap him. They bring him this hypothetical. They, they try to twist uh, the intent of the law and in doing so, They were playing games with God, for they did not know who it was that they were speaking to. Jesus Christ manifest in the flesh, the I am that I am, that came down in bodily form and dwelt. Among us, they would later crucify him because he claimed to be that very eternal God. He claimed to be the God that had no beginning and has no ending. Before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. He claimed to be the creator of heaven and earth. All power is given unto me. He, he would be crucified by these people because he claimed to be God. And they did not realize who they were talking with. They were playing games with God. It's easy for us to look at the Sadducees and not like them. It's easy for us to look at them and say, how dare they? How could they? They who were the guardians of the temple, so to speak, yet they did not understand the word of God. And then they come to Christ with a hypothetical. and They begin to challenge him trying to validate themselves. 
But oh, I wonder how many of us have found ourselves in the same seat before. When we elevate our own ideas and desires or thoughts above the Word of God, and then when things don't go the way we want them to go, we bring to God hypotheticals. Well, y'all looking at me like I'm the only one that's ever done this. <laughs> that's okay. I'll just preach to myself today. We bring to God hypotheticals. And the Lord speaks to us in certain ways through his word, and through his spirit. And yet we respond not quick to accept the answer that he wants to give to us. We self-justify. We come trying to self-validate. We even come to church sometimes for the wrong reasons. We're coming to validate ourselves instead of coming to find out what he has to say to us. And so maybe there are a few more that are in my company here. We, We come into the house of the Lord, and if I can just get back to church, and if they will just... Sing that song, and I can feel the presence of God. What do we do? Oh, I'm okay. Everything's okay. Everything's all right. And we go on, and we keep living the way we want to live and doing the things we want to do. But Christ calls the issue of the matter quickly. And he says, you err, your mistake is this. And he gives two things. It's simple, but yet it's so profound. Two things that you mistake. Two things that you err in. Number one, you do not know the scriptures. Number one, you don't understand what God said. Your religion, your faith has become more about what you think God said than what God actually said. It's become more about what you think God should say than what God actually said. He said you don't know the scriptures. And he said the second thing is you do not know the power of God. He goes on and he answers them. He identified what they were challenging him with. They say there is no resurrection. And he says, first of all, your hypothetical is crazy because in heaven, there's not marriage and, and giving in marriage. He said, that is something that God created only for this earth, for our existence here. But once we are in heaven, there, there is no more purpose in that. There There will be no more fulfillment in that because that's not the desire. Our desire is to be with the Lord forever, to know him in the fullness of his glory. And he said, so you are limiting the concept here. He said, the second thing is absolutely there is resurrection. He could have gone back to Job when Job said, though skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. God. Job held on to the hope that there was a resurrection. He could have gone back to Psalm where the day, where David said, it doesn't matter. He said, but someday, amen, God is going to raise me up. He had a hope in the resurrection. He could have gone on through the prophets, but he went all the way back to the burning bush where God identified himself as the I am that I am, and he went on not only to give Moses a revelation of who he was, that he was a God without limit, that he was a God without beginning and ending. But he said to him, I am the God of Abraham. Abraham, who had already been buried in a grave. I am the God of Isaac. Isaac, who had already been laid to rest. I am the God of Jacob. He was letting letting Moses know 
not only am I, but I am the God of those who had faith, who went on before those that were buried in this life, won the battle over their body. He said, but I am the God of them. They still live. They still have a hope. They still have something to hold on to. They have something beyond this life. And so he answers the Sadducees. He shuts them down in a moment. He brings as only God could bring the perfect answer. But his point to them was this. You err because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. You play games with God because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. This morning I want to talk to you about playing games with God. I want to talk to you about playing games with God. In our own way, we have all played games with God. There have been times in each of us where God has called us to something and we've resisted. Where God has challenged us to something and we've resisted. Even if you haven't been in the church very long or you haven't been around very long, no doubt you have felt the pull and the tug of God at your heart. You have felt God draw you to certain things and at some point you've either suppressed it or you've yielded to it and we play games with God aren't we human aren't we human we play games with God even years after living for God we can still play games with God we're really no different we're really no different than our children this morning we got up and Lucas saw that I was getting dressed when he woke up finally and he said, Dad, where are we going today? And I said, we're going to church. No! <laughs> and I just laughed. I thought, what, what, is, what does he have to say no about? I mean, he comes here, sees all of his friends, gets everything that he wants. <laughs> I leave church and I'm like, why is my son so hyper? And then I find out all of you people that gave him candy. I think it's a plot against me. Why is he saying no? I mean, he sees people that he likes. He talks, he talks about y'all. He, he plays church at home. I mean, it's like he loves this. But then when you tell him no, because it's just like our flesh. We know what we love. We know what we like. We know I love God and all these things. But when God asks things of us, no, come on, somebody. Don't look at me so straight faced. No, we play games with God. We say things like, Lord, if you just let me win the lottery. How about this one? Lord, if you get me out of this mess, I promise. Some of us still have some promises hanging out there. He brought us out. He brought us through. Isn't that what we do? We play games with God. And then when we're in trouble, we're afraid to run back to God. We got to hold it together. I'm okay. I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm, okay. I'm all right. I'm good. Really? 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 Jesus said, you err. Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. What did he mean when he said you don't know the scriptures? What he meant was he was talking to the Sadducees. He meant this. You never believed God could work for you, so you don't believe he will work for you. You've elevated your own opinion above what the word of God says. You have brought a false doctrine steeped in traditions and ceremonies. I'm here to tell you today that the power of the word of God 
is absolute. Note what Jesus did when Satan comes to him and he tries to tempt him three times in the gospel account. All of them, Christ responds by saying, it is written. It is written. Amen. The Old Testament prophet said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but the word of God. Come on, it shall not pass away. Amen. It shall not pass away. If there is one theme throughout Scripture that is constant, is that the Word is absolute, that the Word is always right, that the Word is forever settled in heaven, that you can't change the Word, that you shouldn't amend the Word, that you shouldn't subtract the Word, that you shouldn't add to the Word of God. He said your error is that you don't know the Word. Stop trying to add to it. Stop trying to take away from it from it. Stop trying to twist it. Stop trying to compress it into your way of thinking and just go back to the word and say, what does the word say? Even Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when he would come against the Pharisees, he did not rebuke the word. He only rebuked their interpretation of the word. He said, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, what was he doing? He was refuting their false interpretations. He was infuting He was refuting their their attempt to make the word more pliable in their life without change. But Jesus, as the word made flesh, said, you may have heard that said, but I say unto you, and he would expound the word. Can I tell you, hear me today. The word is always right. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I will not apologize. I will not back down. I will not recant in a day of fake news, in a day of critical thinking. I'm here to tell you that there is nothing more powerful than the Word of God. Man will come and go. Scientists, educated professionals, politicians, kings and popes will die. They'll be born and die. And the Word of God is still going to last. If you want something that can endure your life and your experience. Stand on the word of God. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, you err because you don't know the word. He said, the reason why you're arguing is because you don't know the word. The reason why you're trying to go through all this stuff is because you don't know the word. Can I tell you, there is nothing more powerful than knowing the word. Knowing the word. I'm going to prove it to you here in a moment. But you've got to know the word. That's why as pastor, I want you to love the word of God more than you love my preaching more than you love singing. I want you to love the word of God because when the sermon fades and your mind gets so far from the memories of the experience of church and how it felt, if you have the word hid in your heart, there is something. There is a light that can shine in the darkness no matter how far you go, no matter how far you fall, no matter how deep you Stumble the word of God can bring life back into you. That's why I love these quizzers. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter if you're the worst quizzer on the team. Just get in the word of God. Get in the word of God. Amen. I was looking at all these kids, man. These kids are awesome. I'm looking at them and and, uh, I think Jensen, you answered the question, your last question of the day. What'd you answer that question with? Pancake. That was his last answer because the quiz master said, if you get scared and you don't know what to say or something like that, isn't that what they said? Just say pancake. Just don't panic. Don't worry if you're panicking. Just say pancake. And so he answered that last question on the quiz and said pancake to the roar of the room. And he said, man, my son got, the quiz master said, my son got nervous and he didn't say pancake to the answer of a question until he was a senior quizzer. And he said, Jensen, you're already way down the road there. So he went to a quiz and said pancake. I don't think pancake is in the Bible anywhere. Not sure what version that is. 
I'm going to tell you, if you're learning scripture and you're getting the word of God in your heart, you can be the worst quizzer on the worst team and there's still power. There's still, nobody loses. Come on. Nobody loses. You've heard me say this before. I tried quizzing when I was young and, and they, they cut me from the team. You're only allowed to have five players per team. And we had six people and I was the weakest link. And so they cut me from the team. I hope that you can know there's hope for you. If you are so bad at Bible quizzing that they cut you from the team, you've got to know the word of God. But when you know the word of God, you know his love. You know his peace. You know his joy. You know his promises. You know his mercy. You know why people are held captive by their sins and their fears and afraid to go back into the church? They're afraid to run back in the church because they don't know the word of God. They don't know the word of God. And what, what did our evangelists tell us last week? Rightfully so, the only power that Satan has is lies. The only thing he can operate in is lies. And he comes and he brings a lie. What did he do to Christ in the temptation in the wilderness? He brought a lie every single time. Oh, if you just go do this. And Christ's response was, it is written. He went to the word of God. He went to truth. I'm going to tell you, I'm preaching. I I don't care where this sermon goes, what house, what cell phone, what place somebody finds it. It doesn't matter how low you are. If you'll just get back to the word of God, you know that God's grace is greater than his, than his judgment. His grace and his mercy, come on, goes greater than his condemnation. His love knows no limits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Come on, have you ever done this? I remember doing this. I think Brother Cox was talking about this. You ever remember being in church and, and a preacher give the altar call and you won't go? Because your mind plays all these excuses of why I can't go to the altar and I can't go pray or I can't go do this. Man, if I pray, people are going to know something's up in my life. If I pray, if I go down there, this is going to happen. And we start going through all of these things. I'm going to tell you, you err because you don't know the word of God. You don't know the word of God. You say, well, I can't go to that church because that church is going to judge me. Then you don't know the word of God because the body of Christ does not meet the world with judgment. It meets the world with love. It meets the world with mercy and grace. Amen. Hallelujah. You don't know the word of God. Get back in the word of God. And the second thing he said is you err because you don't know the power of God. I got ahead of myself. This is where he was saying to them, you don't know the word of God, but you don't know the power of God. The power of God is this. You never believed God could work for you, so you don't believe he'll work for you now or in the future. The Sadducees had no relationship with God. They had not seen the power of God at work in their life. And so since they had never seen God work in their life, they did not believe that God would work in their life. You say, well, this has been played out before in Scripture. In Judges chapter number 2, the children of Israel come out of Egypt. God brings them through all the mighty things, and he brings Joshua, and Joshua comes in, and they go through the great conquest of the promised land, and when they get... Uh, to the day when Joshua dies. The Bible says in Judges 2 and 7, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had, look at what it says, seen the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Tinmanath and the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered under their fathers and there arose another generation after them. Look at what it says, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. What happened at the time of Christ? Well, there had been what we would call 400 years of silence where there had been no prophet. There had been no voice of God. There had been no one speaking 400 years and God had not been manifest in their generation, in their time. And so because God was not working, they left his word. 
and they came up with their own way of thinking. Hear me today. It is a danger when you cease to allow God, the power of God, to work in your life because the longer you go without God working, the easier it is for you to come up with something, amen, on your own. That is divorced from the original intent of the Word of God. That's why as a church, we can never be satisfied together and pat one another on the back. We've got to have the power of God. We've got to have the Spirit of God and the demonstration of the Spirit of God at work. Hear me today. He said, there arose a generation which knew not the Lord nor the works which he had done. They had not seen. They had not seen a burning bush. They had not seen God keep the children of Israel safe as the plagues crossed over Egypt. They had not seen God part the water. They had not seen God put a cloud between them and their enemies. They had not walked over on dry ground in the middle of a sea. They had never seen water flow out of a rock in a wilderness and that rock follow them around for 40 years. They had never seen manna fall literally out of heaven every day, every morning, new every morning. They had not seen, amen, the Jordan waters parted as the priest's feet touched that water. They had not seen God bring a victory at Jericho just because they obeyed the word of the Lord and they shouted and praised God. When they got to that place where they had never seen the word of God, the Bible tells us in Judges that they ran from God and they ran from his ways and what Jesus told the Sadducees on that day was you don't know the word of God and you don't know the power of God. He said because of that you're able to play games with God. And so here I'm preaching to somebody today that your two greatest desires, your two greatest priorities ought to be, number one, I've got to know God's word. And number two, I've got to know God's power. Why? Because when you know his word, You know he is faithful. You know he is ever present. You know that he is there with you. You know that he loves you. You know he'll never leave you or forsake you. When you know his word, his word is what produces the power. The Ark of the Covenant, I I, I hasten quickly through this. The Ark of the Covenant was lost by the sons of Eli. It goes to the Philistine camp. It's brought back by David. David sets it up in a tabernacle outside of Jerusalem. And later on, Solomon, David's son, would build the temple. And at the dedicatory prayer of the temple, they had brought the Ark of the Covenant back into the temple. And at that time, somewhere along the line in its journey, the things that the Ark of the Covenant it contained. The Ark of the Testimony contained. They were lost. Originally, there were the tablets of stone, the law. There was Aaron's rod that budded. A man that had a bud, a blossom, and an almond. Every stage of, of uh, from a dead rod, a dead staff, every stage of life was represented on that. It was put in the Ark of the Covenant. And there was a bowl of manna, the miracle provision that came every morning. It was in the Ark of the covenant, but somewhere along the line, when we get to the temple account, the only thing that remained in the Ark of the Covenant was the law, was the word. There was no rod that budded. There was no miracle provision of manna. Somehow it had been taken out. Somehow it had been lost along the way, but all there was was the word of God. But when Solomon knelt down to pray that day, all they were left with was the word of God. As he began to pray, the Bible said the glory descended upon that place and the power of God came and the glory just like it had done in the tabernacle with Moses and Joshua and on Mount Sinai, it happened in that temple when all they had was the word of God. I'm preaching to somebody this morning that it's time to stop listening to the lies of the enemy. It's time to get a hold of the word of God. 
Maybe what you need to do is walk back in your home this afternoon and say, I'm coming. I've lost the miracle. I've lost the anointing, but I still got the word and I'm coming back to my house. I'm bringing the word. I'm coming back to my family and I'm bringing the word. I'm coming back to my broken life and I'm bringing the word. And if the word's all you got, it's enough to bring the power of God back into your life and your circumstance today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. David had an experience with God. He knew God. Not only did he know the word of God, not only did David know the word of God, but he was an author of the word of God while he was a shepherd boy when he was forgotten and nobody knew his name and nobody paid him any attention. When David did not matter, he had the word of God. And with the word of God, he defeated a lion. And with the word of God, he defeated a bear. He didn't have the armory. He didn't have the defenses. All he had was the word of God. But with that power of God, that the word of God had produced, get this, in private, David was able to play it out in public. He goes before the Israelite king and says, let me fight this giant. They try to put armor on him and he says, no, I can't do it. I've got to go with what I know and that was the word of God. He steps on that battlefield and Goliath laughs and begins to mock him but he says you come to me with sword and spear but I come to you in the name of the Lord and that day the power of God fell. That day God defeated Israel's armies, uh, Israel's enemies. That day there was faith bought, brought back because David knew the word of God and David knew the power of God. Yeah, yeah. You need the word of God. You need the power of God. Come on. You need the word of God. And you need the power of God. Sometimes you're not always going to be able to get a hold of the preacher. Sometimes you're not always going to be able to get a hold of somebody at church. Sometimes you're not going to have enough time to get a hold of them. And you've got to be able to stand up in faith and say, hey, I come to you in the name of the Lord. You've got to be able to call out that name Jesus. Jesus, I need you in this moment. Oh, hear me today, somebody. You need the word of God and you need the power of God in your life. The power of God. Come on, has God ever healed you? Has God ever provided? Has God ever kept you safe? Has God ever sent a messenger to talk to you? Has God ever answered in such a miraculous way? I could go through my life. It's it's the little things that make the difference. But I can tell you time. I know there's been a few times where had, had it not been the Lord, I know it had to be the supernatural power of God that was working. It had to be the supernatural of God for somebody to come through. And he came just in time. He healed. He provided. He made a way. He kept us safe. He did something. Sometimes it wasn't even a matter of life and death. And yet God answered the prayer just to prove to me that he was still listening, that he was still there. It's that power of God. It's that word of God that gives me faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. How do you go through a pandemic and not panic? How do you go through sickness and not fall into despair? How do you go through destructive seasons and not get depressed? Because you know the word of God and you know the power of God. Job said, I came into this world naked, and I'll leave this world naked, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Why? Because I know the word of God, and I know the power of God. Abraham... Take your son, your only son, Isaac. Take him up the mountain and sacrifice it. He didn't argue with God. 
He didn't play games with God. He didn't bring up hypotheticals, God. Well, if I did this, it would actually be better, God, for you. It'd be better if I gave you this, Lord. It'd be more beneficial for you, God, if I did this. No, he took his son, and he said, we're going up to sacrifice. And on the way up, his son said, Dad, we've got the wood, and we're going to build the altar. But, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said in faith, knowing what God had commanded him, but he said in faith, God will provide himself a sacrifice. God has asked for the most precious thing. I don't understand it. It does not make sense. But one thing I know about God is his ways are above my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts. He does all things well. That he loves me from the end to the beginning. That he has my best interest in heart. And I'm going to trust him. He is not going to give me something only to rob it from me and cause me doubt and despair. He's not a God like other gods. He is not satisfied by my pain. No, he is satisfied by my joy. He is satisfied by my blessing. It was the word of God. So why aren't you given what God's asking you? It's because you don't know the word and you don't know the power. Why aren't you surrendering what God wants from you? Why aren't you wholeheartedly trusting in God? It's because he said you err. You don't know the word of God. And you don't know the power of God. As they come to the music, I close with this. First Chronicles chapter 21, Sister Monica, if you can get that. We talk about David a lot. David made mistakes. We can identify much of our life through him. There's so much narrative of his life that we're given, and it's very easy for us to give into the temptation of being uber critical of David. Anointed of God and all of his exploits, yet for adultery he would commit murder. He would repay as the prophet walked in that room. David gives the parable. David says that man must pay fourfold. And the prophet then, after he had proclaimed the sentence, said, You, sir, are that man. He would repay fourfold. Four deaths would follow in his house. But the greatest failure of David is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. David, who knew both the Scripture and the power of God, was susceptible by his own pride. God told him not to number the children of Israel. And the Bible says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. David's greatest failure was not when he succumbed to his flesh, but it was when he succumbed to Satan's influence and desire in his life. Nearing the latter part of his life, it happened. How could this happen? The story's told. God was displeased with this thing, verse 7 of 21 of 1 Chronicles, and therefore he smote Israel. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. He was not alone in numbering Israel. He was complicit. All of those others that had joined in, knowing that God's word had said, don't do this. David's being susceptible to demonic or satanic influence as the leader caused other people to join together with him in defying the word of God. He said, I have done this thing, but now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. And the Lord spake unto Gad, David's seer or prophet, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. 
choose thee one of them that I may do it unto thee. This is, this is how crazy this story plays out. It's the only time in Scripture that God comes to someone and says, judgment's coming, but I'm going to let you choose. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Choose thee either three years famine, subject to the harshness of nature and what happens to men in that survival, enraged state of mind, or three months be destroyed before thy foes, while that the sword of thy enemies overtake thee, or your enemies will be given three months free reign coming against you, or else, he says, three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coast of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. David knew the word of God, and he knew the power of God. We find him at his lowest point of satanic influence, making an entire nation sin against God. Look at what David said. I am in a great strait. Let me now fall into the hand of the Lord for very great are his mercies. But let me not fall into the hand of man. Nature's relentless. It's without mercy. There's no mercy in a hurricane, in an earthquake, in a tornado. Enemies, when they get hate and they taste hate, they won't stop until every single one of you are dead. God is almighty in his justice said, justice must be done. But because David knew the scripture and he knew the power of God, he refused to play games. It would have been natural to say, well, let's take the famine. I'm the king. I can survive famine. I can sell things. I can get out of that. He refused to play games with God. He came back to God and said, God, I'm going to surrender at your hand because I know your mercies are great. I'm going to tell you, you don't have to play games with God. You don't have to play games with God. Have you made a mistake? Have you messed up? Maybe this week you did something. What draws us back to church? What brings us back to the altar of repentance? What brings us back to the presence of God? is knowing the scriptures and knowing the power of God. You can come quick. Paul said, I go boldly into the throne room. Paul was raised a Pharisee. He was of the strictest group of people that were uh, 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 of Jews. You would not have ever talked and used that language. I can't go into the throne room. The throne room, I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. But because Paul knew the scripture and he knew the power of God, he said, I can go boldly yes. into the throne room. It's, a, it's, 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 it's knowing the scripture and knowing the power of God that gives you that chance to run back to the mercy of God. When you come to the house of God and you lift your hands, and you begin to pray and you begin to worship. It's not because you're great. It's because you know I need God. Yes. I don't walk in. Come on. You know how it is. The devil lies to you, doesn't he? Come on. You want to get out. You want to come worship. You want to worship God. You want to stand up. And the devil said, who are you to think you should stand up right now? Put your hands down. Who do you think you are? Don't sing too loud. Somebody's going to hear you. And I know they know where you are. Look at you. They, they, know, they know where you've been. They know what you've done. I'm going to tell you, first of all, that's not true. Devil's lying to you. I'm going to tell you, when you come in and you know the mercy of God, you don't care how you look. You don't care how you smell. You don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm not coming for you. I'm coming for the mercy of God. 
Coming to the house of the Lord, you know you, you know you made mistakes this week. Yeah, that's right. That's why I'm back here today. Come on. I need the Holy Ghost today. You need God. I need God. Come running back to an altar. I need God's spirit. I need God to fill me with the baptism of the spirit. I need God to renew me in my life. Why do we go days without the presence of God? Because we don't know the scriptures and we don't know the power of God. Stand together with me this morning. Don't play games with God. He still loves you. He's still reaching for you. God still has hope for you. Promise for you. You cannot exhaust God. You can't exhaust him. He says, you weary me. But God doesn't get weary like we get weary. He says that for our benefit so that we will understand how we are treating God. He's not saying that as a description of how he is because he's the one that loves so much that he gave everything that he comes down. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray this morning that we would not play games with you with our life. Your call and your challenge is to us. God, we've got to surrender. God, I'll surrender to the mercy of God. I'll surrender to the hand of God today. Because I know that if I fall in your justice, I know that your justice has an ending because you're a redeemer, you're a savior. I need you today. I need you today. Amen. I wonder right now if there just be a... Just put everything else out of your mind. I, I ask you to close your eyes and bow your head, not only in reverence to the Lord, but more, and just put everything else out. You don't even have to bow your head. You can lift your head toward heaven. But what if we just closed everything else out and we forgot about who's around us? And in your own way, you just were honest with God right now. Can you just be honest with God right now all across this place? God, I need you today. Come on, can you just talk to the Lord? Come on, just talk to the Lord. Tell Him. Come on, God, I came here one way, Lord, but you're speaking to me. God, I came here today maybe coming to try to find validation, but God, I need more than validation. God, I need your word. I need your promise. I need your life spoken back into my heart today. God, this morning, I need truth in my life. I need the power of the Holy Ghost in my life. God, today, what I need is a renewal, God. I need peace in my life today, God. I need mercy, God. I've been living with fear, Lord. And I know your word says we're not supposed to have fear, Lord. So I'm coming back to you today right now. God, I'm coming with the heaviness, Lord, of all the pain in my life. But God, the Bible says that you're the lifter of our burdens and you're the lifter of our head. God, I need you this morning, Lord, right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Come on, would you just pray that with me right now? Come on, just be honest with God. God, my heart, my heart, God, has surrendered to too many lies, Lord, but I know what your word says. God, I want to get back, Lord, to the place, God, of running back to you and putting you first in my life.